from verse 8, and I'll read down to verse 17. This is NIV. Uh, The Apostle Paul reminds the Christians in the church at Ephesus at this point that once you were darkness, but now as followers of the Lord Jesus, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now please note verses 15, 16, and 17. That'll be our text for today. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. At some point, I was thinking about doing James chapter 4 which says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money, we'll do this, we'll do that. And the corrective is, um, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we'll do that. I thought that would have been a good New Year's passage. Well, then I thought about Philippians chapter 3, those famous words the Apostle Paul talking about his own life. He talks about forgetting that which is behind and pressing on to that which is ahead. That's a good New Year's theme too, isn't it? I didn't go to either of those. I ended up here in Ephesians 5 because it's like a one-off talk. And I thought, well, it's the first Sunday in the year, so we should focus upon New Year's and we should focus upon what is it that God wants us to be doing? What's the most helpful resolutions we can be making? And as I've already asked you, and there's only about half a dozen in the room who actually make New Year's resolutions, or so you say, most often the resolutions that are made are repeated year after year, aren't they? I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to fix a relationship, I'm going to study more. It's, It's either about our own health and fitness, or it's about our appearance, or it's about our own skills development, or it could be about relationship restoration or something like that. At this time of the year, the end of the year and the beginning of the year, TVs, radios, newspapers, magazines, they all jump on board and they all like to look back and give highlights of who were the people in the events that made an impact last year. And some of them will also try to do a prediction of what are we expecting to happen in this coming year or into our future. Well, I'm old enough to remember this, but I read about it. Back in the 1960s, this sort of exercise, predicting what was going to come. Back in the 1960s, it was predicted that with the increasing technology that's happening in our society and world, that by the end of the 20th century, that was 14 years ago, by the end of the 20th century, the average work week will be 22 hours, and we will only work 27 weeks a year. Our biggest problem predicted 1960s our biggest problem is going to be what are we going to do with all that time that we have on our hands all of our leisure time well I don't know about you but that one hasn't arrived yet has it I think it may have even been cancelled I don't think it's coming 
So here we are on the very first Sunday in 2015. What's the issue you're going to hold for you, for us? Is this just going to be one of those calendar-changing events, the new year? Or is it possible that in the providence of God, that actually this calendar change is also a life-changing opportunity, a life-changing event, because of the decisions that we will make, because of the commitments that we will commit ourselves to? And it strikes me as being just plain sensible that what we ought to do is to look at the scriptures and say, well, what is God's will for us? What does God want us to be doing? And to commit ourselves to doing that. That way then we are lining up with just like the Lord Jesus who got to the end of his life, John 17, and he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. I glorified you, Father, because I did the job you sent me to do. The Father has a job for us. A role to play. Even the Apostle Paul at the end of his life could say, I fought the good fight, I finished the course. Kept the faith. So what's your goals? What's your direction? What are you intending to do this year? Now, let me encourage you to take this passage, like any passage of Scripture, very seriously. This one says to us, be careful then how you live. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That breaks down for me into these four sentences. Number one, the passage reminds us that we live in a time when the days are evil. We spoke a little bit about that last week. And so therefore the Apostle Paul says, because the days are evil, therefore we need to be careful how we live. That we need to make the most of every opportunity. And how do we do this? By understanding what the Lord's will is. Understanding what God's will is, is to drive us being careful how we live and making the most of the opportunities that he provides for us. So number one, the days are evil. I don't want to say a lot about this because I spoke about it last week. You can download it, listen to it, get the CD or whatever. Herod's still in the world, basically, is what I said last week. The spirit of Herod. We live in a world which is dominated by the evil spirit, the evil one. Even in this book, Ephesians, back in chapter 2, it says, um, once we were dead in transgressions and sins in which you once lived, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and the children who are disobedient. We live in a world which is under some an, an enemy's domination. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God. We are a, a body, a group, a kingdom of God. The kingdom of Jesus are those who have come into his kingdom who have submitted to him as Lord, have asked him to be forgiven and they are accepted in this new kingdom. But this new kingdom is amidst another kingdom which is opposed to it. So there are difficulties that can be expected. The days are evil. And because the days are evil, you can expect pressure, distractions, hindrances and bad things happening. You can expect difficulties. Don't be surprised by the difficulties. We ought not to be, but we are, aren't we? We are often shattered by them. And yet God is telling us very clearly, you live in a war zone where bad things will happen. It's part of the journey. This last fortnight, I've had conversations with a couple of different families. <coughs> uh, both used to be part of this church, uh, no longer uh, part of this church. They've, one's moved on many, many years ago and they still stay in touch and ring and 
<clears throat> they're just sort of drifting spiritually. They're not doing what God wants them to do. But for both of them, life has dealt them some heavy blows. And the blows have been so significant, it has knocked their faith out of them, if you like. One of them struggles, still believes, but is not worshipping anywhere that I'm aware of, is not in a group and studying to study the scriptures, studies to, struggles to trust God. Uh, another family is just, just drifting. Life has become overwhelming. And it's easy for me to stand here and to say, gee, in the midst of life's difficulties, just hang on, just trust God. Yeah, you do need to do that. But I think there's a lot of encouragement in the scriptures. You just need to be very honest with God about where you're at and what's really going on. We live in evil days. And because of that, some of the choices are going to be difficult. And this passage says to us, number two, we are to be wise in the choices, the decisions that we make. Be careful how we live. Why? Well, because time is limited. Somebody once asked Billy Graham what surprised him most about life. Now, he's in his 90s, I think. And as far as I know, I think he's still alive. What surprised him most about life? His answer, it's brevity. It's brevity, shortness. It is short, isn't it? That's why Moses, Psalm 90, Moses lived to be 120, but Moses is the one who writes Psalm 90. And he writes it reflecting upon the brevity of life when he's with the children of Israel in the wilderness having spent 40 years growing up in Egypt and 40 years in Midian and then now 40 years with the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness. In that third trimester of the 40 years, he writes Psalm 90. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Do you know there's an app you can get on your iPhone? You probably get it on your Android as well. I don't know how much it costs, probably $10. You punch in what you are, male or female, you punch in your age, and it'll calculate for you your expected life, your life expectancy, how many days you've got left, <laughs> if you'd like to know. So you punch in your age and it'll come out with, you've got 5,327 days left to live. Then it'll count them down for you, one day at a time. Verse 17 of Psalm 90 says, Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm for us the work of our hands. That's how Moses finishes that psalm. It's almost like him saying, Our life is short. And unless God confirms that which we have been doing, the work of our hands, then it'll all just go to dust. It'll all just disappear. Unless God makes it permanent. Unless God is in it somehow. So we need to be careful and wise in the choices we make and the decisions we make. Psalm 39 verse 4, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting they are. There are many choices to make. The problem is, though, that you, like me, have far too many choices. Richard Swenson, who was a medical doctor, wrote a book in which he has identified one of the leading maladies of our time is anxiety and stress. He calls it overload. And he goes on in the book to uh, document. He says that people are just plain overloaded. We are overloaded with commitments. 
We've committed ourselves to go here, go there, to do this, to attend that function. We have so many commitments. Our calendars are full. He says, number two, we are overloaded with possessions. Our closets are full. Our garages are overflowing. And for some of us, not only have we filled the house, we've gone and bought one of those storage places and we're putting stuff in there. We are overloaded with possessions. Number three, we are overloaded in the area of work. We get up early, we get home late. Fourthly, there is an information overload. The amount of material and, that's available for you. And just to keep up to speed, up to date with that which you are required to be reading is overwhelming. There are so many demands, there's so many good things. There's only so many hours in a day and there are only so many days in a year. And we've already used up three and a half of them. So when we get to the end of this year, will it be, I have glorified you by doing that which you wanted me to do? That's the point. We've got choices to make so that when we arrive at that point, we can be checking and being able to claim that. Well, how do we do it? How do we make these choices amidst all of the things that we've got to do? And it's not necessarily a choice between that which is right and that which is wrong. There is certainly that choice. But the difficulty is between that which is good and that which is better. And there are many things that are good that are taking away time and energy from that which is better. And that's part of the journey of you figuring that out. And this passage says to us, that we do it by understanding what the Lord's will is. We will make wise choices and we'll make the most of the opportunities by when we understand what God's will is. Well, how do you know God's will? Well, God has told you his will. It's in here. It's in this book, the Bible. Now, this is his general will for all people. And it's his general will for his people, for Christians. As we read it, it contains that information. And that which I read to you this morning, be careful then how you live, be wise, make the most of every opportunity. That's his will for you. That's what he wants you to be doing. And as you read through the scriptures, you will discover what God's will is, his general will. However, as you walk with him, sometimes, and for many of us, there is also God's specific will, which he speaks by his spirit into your mind and into your heart. He'll confirm it through his word. He'll confirm it through circumstances. He'll confirm it through other people. But it, nonetheless, it's his will for you. I guess this will be controversial, but anyway. <clears throat> it was God's will for me to marry Rhonda. It's not God's will for you to do that. That's specific. God wanted me to go into ministry, to leave teaching, and he called me into ministry. That was his specific will for me. And even within that specificity, it was not only to be a pastor, but to be a pastor at some point here in Sunnybank. That was God's will. Revealed, confirmed. So how do you know God's will? What's in the book? But also be listening to his spirit and seeing what, it's, what he is speaking into your heart about his specific things that he wants you to do. And the book says to us, for all of us, that God certainly wants us to glorify him and please him. Verse 10 of Ephesians 5 says, find out what pleases the Lord. 
That's what God wants for you this year. He wants you to please him. That he is God, we are servants. We exist to fulfill his will, not to achieve our dreams. So therefore, it's vital for us to know what his will is. God wants us to know him more deeply as he has revealed himself in his word. So we are to read it, all of it, cover to cover, from Genesis 1 to maps at the back and go through it again, over and over, and ask him to open your eyes so that he might reveal who he is and what he is like to you. That's his will for you. As Alison reminded us this morning, God aches and yearns for a relationship with us. He wants you to know him. Not simply know about him, but to know him so that you can love him and trust him. God certainly wants you to be like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. That's holiness, Christ-likeness, saying no to sin and to self, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's God's will. God certainly wants you also to, by your words and by your life, to demonstrate his grace in your life, to, for you to be proclaiming his excellencies <clears throat> to others. The people looking on will go, what is there about you that's different? God's word, the Bible, says something to us if you're married. There's responsibilities for you as a husband or for a wife. And I would say to all of the husbands and wives in our church, you should have a date night regularly. How regularly is going to be up to you. But you should be spending time together. Now I say that pastorally. Too many couples drift apart. We drift in our relationship from God and we drift in our relationship from one another and we drift in our relationship with our kids. That's not God's will. That's not what he wants. He wants us to know him and love him and please him. He wants husbands to love and please their wives. You can't love your wife too much, Ephesians 5. And wives, you need to be completely submissive, 100% obedient, and you must do whatever your husband wants you to do for the rest of your life. Amen? Pray for me when I get home, please. <laughs> for those of you who are visiting, I was joking at just then. And submission doesn't mean kissing your brains goodbye and total full-on obedience. It does not mean that. You'd talk to me later. <clears throat> don't send me an email. Don't send cards. I don't want them. <clears throat> if you are married and if you have kids, then mums and dads, you need to spend time with your kids. That's God's will. It's in the book tells you exactly what you should be doing as a parent. You need to be not just having date nights, but you need to be having good family times together. Your responsibility as parents is to disciple them. Some families make the mistake. They are so committed to the church, is so involved in the church, their marriage suffers and their family suffers. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. I've said it to all of our pastoral staff. I've said it to many of the pastors that have been here over the years. I've said it to the students, um, if it's relevant for them. You have to look after your marriage, your relationships. If something goes wrong in my relationship here with this, the most attractive, most beautiful woman in the building this morning, I'm trying to get out of the hole I dug before. <laughs> something goes wrong in my relationship here, then I am disqualified from this role. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
So it's God wants me to be looking after Rhonda. And God wants Rhonda to be looking after Daryl. Just want to get it on tape. So here is the deal. I haven't said this, I don't think, for quite a few years now, but I used to say it maybe in another church or something. Uh, Rhonda and I are empty nesters. Uh, Our kids are growing up and moved away. But there are young families here, and uh, it's tough. I think it's tougher being a younger parent now than it was when we were young parents, I think, in my opinion. So I would like to offer, I can only offer for Rhonda and I, But I would like the church to think about, if you're an empty nester, if you're, you know, a a married couple and you don't have responsibilities of kids at home or whatever, grandkids at home, then put yourself on a list where you can be a babysitter for some of the other younger families in our church. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that the parents can ring you and say, could you look after my kids tonight because we're going to have a date night. Just as a church community, we should be doing that together. Now, not all of you are going to be suitable. No, I meant that the way I said it. You need to know the kids, the parents need to know you, and so on. And just because you're in the church doesn't mean that you're a safe person. Does it? So, parents, you need to do your vetting processes and you need to be careful with the choices you make. But if you're able... Uh, Rhonda and I are certainly at this stage, we are. Some of you aren't. Some of you on you would love to do this, but you're not able to do it, whether because of health or because of other commitments that you have. You just don't have the freedom or the time. But for those of us who can, think about it. And if you're interested in that, let me know and we'll make a list and we can give it to those people. We only charge $10 an hour. That's our rate. <coughs> Joking again. And of course, there is work commitments that God instructs us. If you're a Christian, if you follow the Lord Jesus, then you ought to be a very responsible worker at work. You represent the master. So if you're an accountant, be the best accountant you can be. If you're a carpenter or a builder, be the best that you can be. If you're a mechanic, whatever it is, teacher, and on and on and on. Whatever your job is, don't don't try to justify being slack at work by being fully committed to church or to the Lord's work. That's God's will for you, to be a good employer, employee. That's what God wants you to do. You know that story, the professor had a a room full of students and he brought out a beacon and sat it on the bench and then he brought out a jar of big rocks and he started putting the big rocks in, you know, can I get all these rocks in? And he puts all the big rocks in and he brings out another jar of smaller rocks and he says, do you think I can get these in? And they said, no, no, you can't get those in. But he does, he puts them in, he tips some of them in and he shakes the jar around and they fall down between the cracks and... Then he brings out another smaller container of sand or something and can I get that in? No, no, the beacon's full. And he tips the sand in and sure enough it goes down and fills in a little bit of the cracks that are inside and now it's completely full. Then he brings out two large cups of coffee. Do you think I can get that in? And they said, no, it's full to the lid. Full of big rocks, little rocks, sand, it's full. He takes the coffee and he pours it in. Of course, the coffee can absorb through the sand and, and filters all the way down. Do you understand what this parable means? <clears throat> Two things. Number one, you've got to put the, bug, the big rocks in first. What are the big rocks in your life? What are the most important things in your life? They've got to go into your schedule and into your life first. Time with God, time with wife, time with family, work, 
What else? There's a big rock. Ministry area. Whatever it is, putting it in. Second thing it teaches us, doesn't matter how full your life is, how jam-full your schedule is, there's always room for coffee with a friend. That's what it means. Okay. Because the days are evil, there's going to be lots of pressure and distractions. So therefore, we need to understand what God's will is in order that we can be wise to live carefully and to make the most of the opportunities. What are some of the opportunities that God is going to give us this year that we need to grab a hold of? This month of January is named after the Roman god or the Greek god Janus, J-U-N-J-A-N-U-S. Janus was a two-faced statue. <clears throat> as, the stat- as you approach the statue, he had um, long locks, long hair down the front. And as you went round the back of him, then it was completely bald. There was no hair at all. And what it was demonstrating was, and it's why our month is called January after Janus, <clears throat> is that as the opportunity comes towards you, you have the, the means to, in order to grab the opportunity. But as it goes past you, if you haven't already taken the opportunity, you've missed it. You can't grab it once it's gone. Make sense? Grab the opportunities as they come towards you. What are the opportunities that will come to you this year? There's an opportunity for you to read more of the Bible. Take those opportunities for yourself, listening to it on CD, studying it, listening to it on podcasts or on the internet, plug into a life group, study God's word and apply it to your life. Don't miss those opportunities. That's how you'll discover God's will. That's how you'll discover more about him. And it's like developing an appetite. The more you do it, the more you'll want to do it. Don't miss the opportunity, secondly, for prayer certainly personally in journaling and time alone with God. Pray with your spouse. Pray in your life group. Join the pre-service prayer meeting. Join the monthly church prayer meeting. Join the church-wide prayer meetings when we have those prayer days. Opportunities for prayer. Don't miss them. Take the opportunity to read some Christian books this year. I've picked three that I want to read, three classics this year. You do the same. Go through. Find some books that you want to read. Don't be unrealistic. Don't give yourself too many, but... Think about it. It's an opportunity. Or think about joining, if not a life group, then certainly a quad group, an accountability group, meeting with three or four others, two or three others, a group of four, where you hold each other accountable and ask each other serious questions about how you're travelling and where you're struggling and how we can pray for each other. And it's very private and very confidential. If you want to know more about that, come and have a chat. Don't miss the opportunities for training this year that we'll provide both for evangelism but also in life groups and also in other areas. Take the opportunities to share materially. As you're given the opportunity to be able to give to another, take the opportunity. Take the opportunity to be practical, to help, to be looking out for one another. Gary Freeman tells a story I need to finish up about a young lady who was off to university. She hated it. She didn't want to go to university, but she did. She kept telling herself, if, um, if I ever get out of university, if I ever finish this course, all I want to do is get married and have children. If that happens, then I'll finally enjoy life. So she stuck with the university. She finished the courses. She attended all the classes and so on. And she did get married. She did have children. And then she discovered that children are hard work. 
<clears throat> so she told herself, if only I can get these kids raised and then I'll be able to relax and enjoy life. But of course, by the time the kids got to teenage years and they're going to high school, her husband comes to her and says, guess what? We don't have enough money to put these kids into a private school. You need to go get a job. So she didn't want to get a job, but she did. She hated it. And she said, if I can just get these kids through high school, through university, pay off the bills, then I can quit work and I can really enjoy life. And sure enough, the years passed and time and kids grew and they finished high school, they finished university and all the bills are paid. And finally, she went to her boss and she said, now I can quit. And the boss said to her, don't quit just yet. If you just work for another five to eight years, then you'll have you know, this amount of money in your superannuation and you'll have a pension and it'll be so much better. Well, she didn't want to work for another five to eight years, but she did. And she didn't like it. When she concluded those five to eight years, finally she and her husband retired. And they moved into a little retirement cottage. Guess what they did then? They sat out in the front veranda. They opened the family picture album book and they dreamed about the good old days. Life is a journey. Don't miss the journey. Each day. Choices to make. God's will to be known and discovered. Be wise, be careful. Don't be consumed with when and then thinking. Romans 13, verse 11 and 12 says, the hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness. Let's put on the armour of light. The, the days we live in are evil. Let's discover and understand what God's will is for us so that we can be careful in the choices we make on a daily basis and so that we can make the most of the opportunities that God is going to be presenting to us. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and I'm going to pray and close our service. Let's stand. <clears throat> Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of time. And our times are in your hands. And you have reminded us that though we live in a fallen, broken world where bad things happen and will keep happening and that we are not immune from it happening to us, Nonetheless, you have revealed to us what your will is, what you want us to be doing. Lord, help us to discover, to know it, and to understand your will, that we might make good choices, right choices, correct choices, and that we can make the most of each opportunity that you present to us, that we might grow to become more like Jesus, that we might know you, love you, and please you, so that at the end of our life, and maybe even at the end of every year, we can say like the Lord Jesus, that we have glorified you by accomplishing your task that you gave us to do. Father, enable us to do that for the honour and glory of your name. Now, Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Grant us a sense of your grace and your peace and your mercy until we meet again in Jesus' name. And everybody said... God bless everybody. Have a great week. <laughs>